Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 40 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Well, um, a lot has changed since I recorded the last podcast episode. You know, and even just saying that seems ridiculous. It's so much more than a lot changing. You know, the whole world shifted under all of our feet. And I think many of us are crawling. Crawling, trying to find the space where the world doesn't seem to be constantly shifting and constantly overwhelming us with a consistent beat of what has become a terrible reality. I first addressed this new reality in a YouTube video I posted about two weeks ago called Musings and Things to Do to Address Pandemic Fear. Check it out on the Everyday Buddhism YouTube channel. I hope to do more YouTube videos during these times, and I'm also planning on offering a few other things to be of some help in these uncertain and, yes, scary times. One of those is that we started another online sangha using Zoom video conference. This one will be free and open to all, but of course, you know, donations are accepted and appreciated. But I wanted to make it uh, make some availability to people who couldn't come at other times, who are now home and maybe can come, and uh, or who di- who didn't and couldn't afford a membership fee. So check it out. Levi Shinyo Walbert Sensei Sensei and I will be hosting a sangha every single week. We and these were open. We will alternate day and evening sanghas each week. The Open Sangha meeting started this past week on Tuesday the 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time with me hosting. And then this coming week, Wednesday, April 1st, Levi Sensei will host the Open Sangha at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, New York Time. And for those who are members of the Everyday Sangha, those Sangha meetings will continue every other Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. with the next meeting this coming Thursday, April 2nd. I hope you got all that. And if you didn't, uh, there's posts on the Facebook public group about these Sangha meetings. And I'll soon be posting a link to the uh, Wednesday evening Sangha, uh, open Sangha meeting, and it'll be a Zoom link for those of you who are interested. And, you know, I'll try to make the announcements brief today, except one note is that I'm offering a promotion on the Kindle version of my book. Um, I I did one of those staggered promotions where um, it started with uh, 99 cents yesterday. Today it's $2.99 to buy... um, um, 
today's Saturday, it's two ninety nine to buy. Tomorrow, Sunday's four ninety nine, and it'll be six ninety nine on Monday, and then return back to the regular price of eight ninety nine on uh, Tuesday. So that's it for the announcements. Let's get right to our new reality. You know, the whole world is afraid. And it's not just our country, it's the whole world. A tiny piece of biological stuff, this virus, brought the world to its knees. A contagion or plague of this level is not new to the world, but it is new to most of us living today. We have very little experience dealing with the level of uncertainty we are all living with today. And this makes protecting the health of our mind and our heart as important as protecting the health of our body. You know, the Buddha used the symbolism of himself as the doctor, the Dharma as medicine, and the Sangha as nurse. Using that metaphor as an anchor to steady our fear impulses is helpful. Another Helpful tool offered by the Dharma is meditation. Now, I realize if you don't already have a meditation practice, it might be particularly hard to start one in in these times, in this situation, due to the pervasiveness of fearful information raining down on us like hail. But it also could be the perfect time to start a meditation practice especially if you try to think a little differently than you were thinking of meditation. It's a perfect time to create a new relationship with the concept of meditation. You know, in times like this, we need to be vigilant about not being perfect, not being good, not being the best meditator, not reaching enlightenment, but being gentle with ourselves protecting that frightened child that lives in each one of us, calming the frayed nerves, finding a quiet space in our lives to breathe and feel the calmness that is our natural state. So instead of burdening yourself with a perfectionist-driven goal of starting the perfect meditation practice, it can be as easy as taking a few minutes every day or twice a day to focus your mind on something else, something other than the news or reading articles on COVID-19. I read this quote from a blog mail list the other day. Uh, it's something I subscribe to. It's called The Minimalists. The quote was, constantly searching for breaking news will break you. This is from Ryan Nicodemus, who's, I guess, one of the founders and writers of The Minimalists. I really like that. I think that's what a lot of us are doing, constantly searching for the updates or better news or news that we can use to protect ourselves and our loved ones. But it's been my experience in this situation, because I've been there, I've been doing this, is that constantly searching 
will only get you a lot of different information, a lot of different opinions, and none of which are particularly helpful to the situation each of our selves, each of our individual selves find ourselves in. So there has never been a better time to develop a practice of finding a healthy balance between being informed and tormenting yourself. Everyone seems to suddenly be a virologist or a public health specialist on social media. Either they are or they have their best friend uh, who is, or this is from my uncle who is, and, you know, if you... uh, if you drink hot water every half hour, you'll protect yourself from the virus and on and on and on and on and on and on. And then someone else writes just the opposite. So I'm not sure how any of this can be helpful to us, either to our physical health, but especially to our psychological or mental health. You know, in the book, uh, The Fundamental Spirit of Buddhism by by Haya Akagarasu, who is an important teacher from my lineage, the Bright Dawn lineage. He's Akagarasu Sensei is the teacher of Reverend Gyome Kabose. Um, and my sensei, Reverend Koyo Kabose, um, is the son of Reverend Gyome Kabose. So it's that lineage of teaching. And in that book, there's a line I always remember. I guess Akagarosu Sensei was quite uh, um, a vital person even in his older years. And when he was touring the United States, uh, he someone asked him why he never seemed tired. And he responded, quote, it is very easy. People get tired because they don't know how to take care of their mind. Between each thing, there should be a complete break where one totally forgets, a space, a void. Then the next thing can be begun with a fresh mind, unquote. So I guess the question right now that we should ask ourselves is how can we find that void? That's the purpose of meditation, and it doesn't have to be hard. It can be as easy as thinking about or focusing on something else as effortless and natural as stopping a minute to look out the window to watch a squirrel jumping from branch to branch, or following a single cloud as it sails across the sky, or noticing the dance of dust particles in a sunbeam streaming through your window. In those moments, you aren't thinking about the latest news or fearing what's to come, You have created the space to discover that void or that mind protector by simply being right where you are and experiencing it completely. You know, I've shared with you before how the word mantra means mind protection or the freeing of the mind. Mantra is another way to do meditation. It is similar to following that single cloud with your eyes in that you follow a phrase, a word, or a sound with your mind. If you focus on a word or words or a sound, your mind can't keep its focus on your fears or the latest news. Mantra doesn't have to be 
a Sanskrit word or a phrase, and it doesn't have to be something from a spiritual or religious book or a teaching. It can be a line from a poem or a song or a hymn or a single phrase shared by a teacher or someone else you admire. The key, though, to the mantra is keeping it in your mind, keeping it in mind, repeating it. That is what mindfulness means, keeping in mind. If we keep in mind, then the mind doesn't get hijacked by all those other thoughts. Another practice that protects the mind is just open awareness. Open awareness is just seeing, just hearing, just feeling. It's a practice where you can drop the eye. I don't mean drop your physical eye that you look through, but the eye, the self. Drop yourself and be only the seeing, the hearing, and the feeling. And what you've done when you do this, if even for just a few minutes, is to let go of the consistent world of duality you live in. The I doing something to an object or an object doing something to the I. It's just the doing. Another practice, and it's a complementary practice that I suggest and may maybe someday incorporate it as a unit in our public everyday Buddhism group, Facebook group, And that's using the practice of mindful writing to build a habit of focusing for a few minutes, once or twice a day, to really be in your life. Be the seeing, be the hearing, be the feeling. Then write something that captures that seeing, hearing, or feeling you had in that instant. Write without analysis. Write as the seeing, hearing, and feeling not as your mind processing the seeing, hearing, and feeling. When you do that, you are practicing mindfulness and a focused meditation that also elicits insight. So it combines all the elements of all the meditation practices. This mindful practice comes from my friend and Buddhist Buddhist priest and psychotherapist, Satya Robin. She calls the writing small stones. She says this about that, uh, these writing of small stones. Quote, writing small stones is a very simple way of engaging with the world around you. They are a gateway into praise and clear seeing. They will help you acknowledge the ugly things, the slugs in the compost pile, as well as the pretty ones, a blackbird's song. You don't need to be a writer. The important thing is to start opening up to the world around you. The small stone writing precisely captures a fully engaged moment. The process of finding small stones is as important as the finished product. And I'll interject here in her quote to say that I think the process of finding the small stones is more important than the finished product. But back to her quote. Searching for them will encourage you to keep your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, fingers, feelings, and mind open, unquote. So, you know, I've been, I've incorporated this practice before, and I've done uh, small stone writing in groups that she's had over the years. Um, But I thought uh, 
during this time when it's a struggle sometimes to meditate uh, for me, even though I have a good meditation practice, it's a it's a struggle to meditate with the, all the fears going boo on me, right? So I've been trying to use small stone practice, and I wrote a few this week, um, and just taking a few minutes in the morning or middle of the day or whenever to focus on the world in front of me and pause my thinking for a while. I'll share a couple of these. Um, here's one. The dog snores as if life was normal. I wrote that on Monday. Let's see, on uh, Wednesday, I wrote, in bed, alone, in the middle of the night, an owl hoots, and the anxiety disappears. Today I wrote, it's raining. It might not wash away the virus, or even the tears of those who have lost someone, or are trying to save someone. But listening, listening to the rain, there is calm in and beyond me. Now, this isn't about writing poetry. It's about noticing your feelings, noticing something outside in your world. If you'll notice in each of the ones, I noticed a sound. Um, I'm, I'm very alert to sounds. Sounds calm me. So if in noticing the sound, I then noticed how I felt about the sound and what I was feeling before. And it's a way of focusing in on what's really going on rather than what I'm frightened might go on or, or what I'm worried about or what I'm planning for. So in the writing of small stones, you need to focus on what's happening now, right in front of you, not what could be, should be, might be, but right now. You know, these are really, really scary times. And I don't think anyone is immune to anxiousness and fear unless they're, they're kind of lying to you or lying to themselves and they're doing something that's referred to as spiritual bypassing. You know, spiritual bypassing is in a term introduced in the early 80s by, 1980s, uh, by John Wellwood, a Buddhist teacher and psychotherapist. I see that many people use spiritual practices as a way to bypass what's really happening. You know, that's what I like about Buddhism as a practice. It's not about um, so much um, uh, the, the focusing on the perfect and the beyond, but focusing on what's here, what's, what's happening now, and what's happening inside and outside of them. Some some symptoms and some clues that you may be spiritually bypassing or others may be spiritually bypassing is that they're not focusing on the here and now. Uh, they're instead trying to live in a spiritual realm much of the time or they're overemphasizing the positive and avoiding the negative or it's a sense of being self-righteous about the concept of enlightenment. You know, my enlightenment is better than your enlightenment, or my enlightenment will get me through this, or whatever. Or being overly detached, or being overly idealistic, or having feels of en feelings of entitlement, or exhibiting frequent anger, or engaging in sort some sorts of cognitive, cognitive dissonance 
or being overly compassionate. In Buddhism, we call that idiot compassion. Or pretending that everything is okay when it's not. You know, I've recognized some of these traits in myself, not just in this situation, but in other situations. But, you know, I think we tend to fall back to some of our favorite uh, spiritual bypassing methods when things get really tough. They're coping mechanisms. But one thing I would like to offer in this episode is that instead of coping, we should try to stay right in whatever discomfort we feel. Stay out of the mind and get into the body. Breathe and look at your fear, your fear of what's to come, or your anxiousness about what's not in control, which seems to be almost everything now. But keep breathing, keep looking, keep feeling and listening with your body. While you sit there and breathe, notice your mind screaming in anxiousness, but keep breathing anyway. Don't, don't run away. Don't bury it. Don't hide it. Don't do something else. Notice it and keep breathing. Then add to that breath a mantra, a prayer, or a listening to the birds outside your window. When you practice this way, you are not building a false shelter on sand, but standing in the now and in whatever suffering you're feeling with your breath and your mantra or prayer as your support. In this way, the Buddha is with you and everyone is breathing with you. We breathe together. That's what got us into this pandemic in the first place. We are codependent. We are interbeing, as Titnat Han says. It has never been so apparent as it is now in this pandemic, this interbeingness. We are apart from each other, but together in the same suffering. With each breath we take, we can visualize breathing for those COVID-19 patients who can't breathe, and breathing for the doctors, nurses, fire, police, ambulance, retail, and delivery workers who are scared to take a breath, scared to breathe in the virus. I hope these breathing, mantra, and mindful writing practices give you uh, a sort of a assortment of things that you can try. Try one this week. Until then, be safe, take good care, and know that we are truly all in this together. May it be so. That's it for this episode. Until next time, keep finding ways to breathe for yourself and breathe for all others in hopes to make things better. <music>